Good morning, church. It's good to see you guys. Open your Bibles, if you will, to Acts chapter 1. We're going to dive right in. I have a ton of stuff for you this morning, and I think God is going to speak to you. Acts chapter 1. If you don't know where that is, by the way, it's on page 778 in the Bible that's provided for you. Chapter 1. We're going to start reading uh, from the very first verse as we went over those verses last week, and we're going to continue through verse 11, okay? So chapter 1, verse 1, 1 through 11. Let's read it. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. All right. So let me just kind of remind you, we, we started uh, last week, and we started the book of Acts by introducing you to the physician Luke who wrote it, right? He also wrote the book of Luke. Uh, we talked about the big idea last week that what is on the inside of you will eventually show up on the outside of you. What's on the inside of you will eventually show up on the outside of you. We're going to take that idea and expand it a little bit more this morning because at the beginning of the book of Acts, what we're going to see is that the disciples and the writer Luke is going to define for us what's on the inside. Is what's on the inside of us just optimism? Because if you have optimism on the inside of you, certainly it's going to show up on the outside of you. However, is optimism or is positive thinking or is a positive psychological perspective enough to be able to lead you through this life in the way that God would have you go? I'm going to submit to you this morning that it's not, and the Bible's going to define for us what we need on the inside of us so that that inside will eventually show up on the outside. Now, if we look at our text today, go down to verse uh, 11. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? So what's happened is Jesus has, this is, this is, um, this is called the transfiguration, okay? This is called the transfiguration. This is, so we have a couple of different things happening. We've got, the de- we've got the birth of Jesus, we've got the death of Jesus, we have the resurrection of Jesus, and then we have the transfiguration. The transfiguration is a post Resurrection, we talked about this last week. For 40 days, Jesus revealed himself, right, through many proofs. Jesus took the approach, you'll see it and then you'll believe it. 
Okay? You'll see it, and then you'll believe it. I'm going to prove to you that I'm here. I'm going to walk among you. I'm going to reveal myself to 500 people. I, I, I'm going to reveal myself personally to some of my disciples and my friends. I'm going to show you my hands. I'm going to show you my side. I want you to see the, 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 the nails in my feet. I want you to understand that it's me. It's the same Jesus that was crucified on the cross, died and was buried, is now alive again. Now, at the end of the 40-day period, which is where we kind of pick it up here, at the end of the 40-day period, Jesus sends back up to heaven, okay? Um, which I've always kind of wondered what that was like, right? Because, I mean, was it, I mean, I don't know, just weird things pop in my mind, you know, like, what was it like for Jesus to ascend? Did they just stand there and did he just slight, I mean, was it like the Wizard of Oz, you know, Glenda just took off in a bubble? You know, I don't, was it like that? Or, or was it just like, boom, and he was gone? I don't know how it happened. I mean, the Bible doesn't tell us. We don't know, but we know that he ascended back up to heaven and now sits at the right hand of God the Father. That's where he is. All right. Now, as we, as we enter into this, we see the disciples just kind of dumbfounded, okay? I mean, Jesus has done some pretty amazing things. He's risen from the dead. He's healed some people. He's walked around post-death. That's pretty amazing. And so now what happens, what we begin to see, is that he rises, and the disciples are just standing there, looking into the sky like, what happened? Uh, is he coming back? I mean, they don't know. I mean, we have the end of the story, so we know he hasn't come back yet. So they're going, is, what, I mean, is he getting something? I mean, like, what's happening right now? Like, we're not really sure, like, what's going on? Is he coming back anytime soon? So they're just kind of watching him, then two angels in white appear next to him, and they say, and, and he sa- they say to him, what? They say, why do you stand looking into heaven? I think that these angels are very um, intuitive at this point as to what's going on in the hearts of the people who were there that time at the transfiguration, the disciples. And I think the reason why they're intuitive is because you can kind of imagine, you, you, you would be kind of lost at this point, like, what just happened? I mean, what's going on? Is he, is he going to return now? Is he going to take us with him? What's going to happen? He leaves. And so they're just standing there dumbfounded, and the angels say, why do you look for him up there? Because what's happening right here is the whole beginning of the book of Acts is teaching you and me and the early church that it's not just about Jesus here, that there is a transference of power. We're going to look at this a little bit later in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. There is a transference of power from Jesus to his people. Let me just say that one time. There's a transference of power from Jesus to his people. He's going to say, you are now going to be my witnesses. I'm not going to witness anymore. I'm not going to show myself. It's going to move from seeing is believing to believing is going to be seeing. So now you have to show the world, and we're going to talk about in a minute what it means to be a witness, but you have to show the world through your witness that I am real. And watch this. If you do not show him by your, by your word and by your deed, they won't know. So Jesus transfers power from himself to the church, and, and church, by the way, being the people of God, Right? And so he transferred the power from himself to you, and he says, literally, I'm going to put myself inside of you. It's going to be, the relationship's going to be so close that it's not going to be teacher and student, you following my principles, you following my ideas. It is going to be me penetrating you. It is going to be me filling the insides of your heart. It's going to be me inside of you and you inside of me. So the the angels come and say, no, no, don't look up into heaven. That's not where the future action is. That's not where things are going to unfold. That part of the story is done. Put your eyes back here, because next thing is going to be amazing. Watch. Verse 4. And while staying with them, 
he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. So now Jesus, Jesus is with them at this point, right? He's with them. And he says, don't depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. So you've heard me say before that the Father is going to do something amazing, all right? Beyond my death, beyond my birth, beyond my death, beyond my resurrection, there's something amazing is about to happen. And he says, for John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So not many days from now, God the Father is about to do something amazing. And so he brings up John the Baptist, and he says, John the Baptist has always baptized with, with, uh, with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So he makes this distinction between an Old Testament baptism, and I don't know if you've ever thought about that before, but New Testament is not where baptism arises. Old Testament had baptism as well. John the Baptist, the last of the Old Testament prophets, is baptizing people not into, into Jesus' name, but not into Jesus' salvation. So what, what John's baptism is, is a baptism of repentance. And, and you can see this through the, the, the text of the scripture where John the Baptist is um, one day standing on the top of a hill and people from all over uh, Galilee have come to, to hear him speak, to, 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 to be baptized by him. And, and one day um, he, he sees over the hilltop Jesus. Now you have to remember, Jesus is his cousin, right? But they have not had a whole lot of interaction. Okay, so, so he sees Jesus, the Holy Spirit inside of John says to John, John, that's the Messiah. And so John is so overwhelmed by this that he says, I- I'm not fit, to, and Jesus comes to him and says, I need you to baptize me to fulfill Old Testament prophecies. And John says, no, I, I, can't, I can't baptize you. Why? Because I'm not even fit to tie your shoes. I-, I can't be the one who baptizes you. You should baptize me. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. I'm about to transfer power to the people of God to do the things of God. I'm I'm still going to be glorified. I'm still going to be Jesus. I'm still going to be high and exalted. But I'm going to now work through the people of God so that the power of God is known in the world. And so can I say to you guys that if the people of God do not exercise the power of God in the community, in the faith, then the world just will never know it. I don't think that that God is going to come back and perform some great miracle and say, hey, here I am again. The next time the Bible says he comes back, he comes back with judgment. He comes back to judge the living and the dead. And so in between the time that he is ascended and the time that he returns, you and I are all about the business of helping people take their next step toward Christ. It's just our way of saying making disciples all over the world. That's our job as Christians is that we share Jesus with the world. And if for some reason we don't share Jesus with the world, that transference of power that God gives to us is worthless. It's useless. It's like having this huge supply of power on the inside of you and never, ever tapping into it. So um, let me give you an example of that. Um, uh, Yesterday I was riding around on my motorcycle. I have a a Harley-Davidson motorcycle and uh, it's awesome, and uh, it's, it's black and yellow. You need to know that because it's part of the story, all right? So it's black and yellow, and uh, so I was riding through the neighborhood, you know, and I was just, I was, there's this neighborhood uh, called Hidden Estates near my house. I was riding back into Hidden Estates, and there were these four little girls in the middle of the road, right? And I had already come past them, but this time they weren't moving, right? So they were, they, I was driving along, and I get up probably 10, 15 feet behind them, and the bike sounds loud. I mean, it's not outrageously loud, but it's blah, 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 you know? I mean, you know when I'm coming down the road. So uh, these little girls, two on a little skateboards and two on bikes, 
and uh, they're just right in the middle of the road blocking everything. You know, I probably could have scooted, scooted through, but it could have been dangerous, so I'm just 10 or 15 feet behind them, and I beat my horn. I'm like, beep, beep, you know, and uh, they just kind of look back like, what? You know, and I was just like, I, I'm like, boom, you know, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, they, they, they move over a little bit, right? And, uh, and then I pull up next to him because I love little girls like that. I mean, I think that's cool. And so I pull up next to him, and uh, the one on the, I say to the one on the skateboard, I say, hey, you want to race? And she doesn't even acknowledge I exist. She's like, don't talk to strangers, don't talk to strangers, don't talk to strangers, don't talk, you know. And so th- there was this other girl, and she was on this black bike, and uh, she says, I'll race you, you know. And uh, I'm like, okay, let's go. And I'm like... You know, and I just, I just really, I'm just going like four miles an hour, you know, trying to keep the bike upright, you know, at this point. And she's just, she's just going, you know, as hard as she can. She looks over me. She goes, she goes, I'm beating you. And I'm like, I'm like, uh, I'm like, really? I'm like, you're doing great. And then she starts talking smack. You know, I'm like, what's going on? She goes, what is wrong with your motorcycle? <laughs> I'm like, what? She goes, it looks like a bumblebee. You know, and I'm like. And then I'm like, Burn! I ran right over and I just kept on going, you know. <laughs> nah, that last part didn't happen. But I was just like, I was just like, honey, you don't know what you're talking about here. This bike has so much more power than your little pedals do. Um, it's like that with us. I mean, we have access to either riding our bike and just pedaling as fast as we can in life and trying to work as hard as we can with our own power, our own authority, or we have the power of a hog on the inside of us. I don't know if that was an appropriate illustration right there, saying the Holy Spirit was a hog. But nevertheless, we have the power of something super powerful on the inside of us that all it requires us to do is activate it. All right? And, 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 and what, what Luke is trying to get us to see here is that there is this transference of authority and power into the lives of believers in such a way that if it's not used... The world will not know he's who he is. And I want you to understand that, that, that for you, that should literally place a burden on your heart. There should be a part of you that goes, you know what, just living my life day to day, going through the emotions and, and, and being carried along by the stream of life, there may be more to life than that. There may be that God has this mission or this vision or this plan for me that's bigger than just what I'm living, that maybe in the midst of all that I'm doing, I need to be a witness. Verse 6, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. So look at verse 6. What it's saying here is, so when they came together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom? Here's what they're asking. They come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, um, are you going to fix the socio-political situation we're in? Everybody look up here. Are you going to fix the socio-political situation that we're in? At that time, Jewish people could be Roman citizens, so on paper, everything was okay, but they had grown up in that nation as through the Babylonian captivity, the Chalcedonian captivity, the Egyptian captivity, now the Roman captivity. They had grown up as slaves inside that culture. So now on paper, everything was legal for them to be, quote, not equal, but at least cared for, right? But, but this was very much what it was probably like to be an African-American person in the 1960s. All of a sudden, the laws changed. Equality was there. However... What was not there was equality in the hearts of people, right? 
I mean, we could look back on those days and go, okay, so people, I mean, while it was technically equal, right, there, there was really a large gap in between that equality, right? Because people still had in their hearts institutionalized racism. Same kind of thing here at this point in time in history, the Jewish people were not considered really part of the Roman world. And so they're asking Jesus, are you going to fix our social situation? And, and are you going to fix the government situation? Are you going to make it such that we can now be over them instead of them over us? They had this really, really small world mindset. Because what Jesus is about to do here is he's about to do something that's so much larger than just fixing the situation in Jerusalem for Jewish people. He was about to do something that was so much bigger than that. And I want you to see, because now we have 1,950 years of experience in what I'm talking about. So for 1,950 years, God did not fix the socio-political situation of Israel, right? And then in 1948, Israel becomes a what? It becomes a state, right? It becomes its own state. First time almost in 2,000 years. And after they become a state, watch, this is not about politics, don't worry, you know I don't go there, all right? This is not about, I'm not going to be like, pull out a red flag or a blue flag, hold on. But for 1950 years, right, Israel was not a state until it became a state. And did that fix their situation? Did it bring shalom? No, it didn't, did it? It didn't bring shalom. Because the kind of shalom that they're looking for here in the text the kind of socio-economic, political shalom doesn't exist. It doesn't exist in the way that they wanted it. So what they were looking for at this point in time was um, Jesus to come and be a military leader who could come in and overthrow Rome, fix all the social stigma, and allow them basically to be the oppressors and not the oppressees. Now this is fascinating. Because what Jesus says is, is, is amazing. He says in verse 7, he says, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons, guys. Have you ever been told by God that I have this amazing thing coming and then there's a huge gap of time between the time that he promised it and the time that it comes? Maybe some of you guys are right smack dab in the middle of that right now. God said, you're going to have a child, but right now it's just, it doesn't seem like it's going to happen. Or he says, I promise I'm going to bring a new job a husband, a wife, a friend. And it just doesn't seem to happen for a long time. I think sometimes what we want is what is least painful and what is most desirous to improve our immediate circumstances. But what God is doing it's creating circumstances that will bring a greater shalom to all involved. So maybe there are seasons where you and I are called to wait patiently, and boy, it's that hard. But in the midst of waiting, he's building faith and trust in him. That when you don't have that husband or you don't have that wife that you want, and you have one, but they may not be the one you want, you have to lean on him. You have to press into him, and you have to trust that this God that you love loves you with immeasurably more love than you have for him. That he seeks your good and the good of the city. 
And so when you look at verse 6, the ask, will you fix the social and political world, it's so small. Look at what he says. I'm not going to tell you. It's not for the times for you to know the times and seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. See, there's the encouragement. The Father has fixed a time in his time, and by his own authority, he's fixed these things. The Greek word fixed here, it literally means there is an immovable will that has been established. So when you look at that, what it's saying essentially is God is creating a plan and has a plan, and that plan will ultimately work out for your good and his glory, but there are fixed parts of that plan as you move forward into history that you can trust. If God has told you that something is going to happen, it will happen. Why? Because it's fixed by his power, his authority, his ability, and his goodness that he follows through on all of his promises. And so it says here, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father's fixed by his own authority, but, watch this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So, so what happens here is it moves from social and political fixes in Jerusalem to a worldwide movement of people called out for God. You see, that's what's happening here in Acts in the early chapters. God is calling for himself a people apart from the world. I really want you so desperately right now to get this. Because this is so crucial to a Christian identity. This is so crucial for you to understand you are not ordinary. And I don't mean that in the Joel Osteen pop psychology kind of way. I mean that in this way. You are not ordinary because God has chosen you. God has pulled you, your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers, all who will come to him. He has pulled you out of the world and he is creating a counter-cultural society. Not called Grace, not called Northland, not called First Baptist, not called First Presbyterian, not called Summit, called the church. Amen? Watch this, watch this. And the people of God are different. Because what's on the inside of you, what is on the inside of you? Verse 8. No, I wasn't asking a question. Sorry, that didn't come across right. I'm like, what's on the inside of you? Right. <laughs> that was awesome. That was awesome. Thank you for laughing. Uh, verse 8, what's on the inside of you? You'll receive power what? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The word to come upon, it literally means to be overwhelmed with and to be infilled with. And so when you have the Holy Spirit on the inside of you as the called out ones, the Holy Spirit will show up on the outside of you as the called out ones. You will have increasing love for all people. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. I mean, that's what the people of God look like. That is a caricature, that is a, that is a, that is a, those are the characteristics of someone. That is the evidence of the Holy Spirit in someone's life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That's who we are. That's not who we aspire to be. That's not who we're going to try to be. That is who you are if you have the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. But I think sometimes what we want is so much smaller than what God wants for us. We, we want a fiefdom. We want a kingdom. We want a small circumstantial change in our life instead of adhering to the larger global change that God is about to make in us and the world. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. 
Um, up on the screen, I want to give you a definition of, the, of witness. I want to give you a definition of witness, and this is what it says. You know that you are being a witness when, watch this, you show them with your life and you tell them with your words. You show them with your life and you tell them with your words. Really simple, easy, portable definition. You should just memorize it. I'm a witness when I show them with my uh, life and when I tell them with my words. What happens when you show them with your life, but you don't tell them with your words? Well, you become a moralist at that point. You're a good rule follower. You're a good, you're a good person who, who seems to get praise from other people. Why is Mike such a good person? Why is he such a nice guy? Why are those, why are those people so good? And we go, well, it's just who we are. It's not who we are. We're wretched sinners at the core of who we are, but Jesus is in us, and that's why we are the way we are, because what's on the inside of you will eventually show up on the outside of you. So if you have a witness without any words, you become a legalist. You become a moralist. But if you are, if you are watch this, we just turn it over for a second. If you have, if you have um, words without the life, you become a hypocrite. Oh, sure, I believe in Jesus. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And then you go and do what you want without the witness. You become a hypocrite. And so what we're saying here is that a witness, a witness is one who looks upon the circumstance and then shows it to others and tells it to others. That's what it means. So every single morning, if you're wondering, man, what does God have for me today? I promise you there's one thing he has for you, and it's this, that you show and tell the world. Show them with your life and tell them with your words. Show them with your life, tell them with your words. Show them with your life, tell them with your words. Hey, God, thank you that I get to get up today and show them with my life and tell them with my words. And if you do those two things, you are his witnesses. That's very simple. It's very easy. But I want you to see this transference of power. I want you to see it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 21. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 21. You don't need to flip there. You can if you want, but it'll be on the screen. This is what it says. All this is from God. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. So that's Christians he's talking about, right? God's reconciled to us and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So when we became Christians, we were reconciled to God. God then turns around and he gives us the ministry of reconciling those who are not Christians. All right? That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. See, the way that Jesus approached people was not, hey, you wretched, wicked sinner. What Jesus did with people who were lost was approach them and said, hey, I love you. Let me show you who I am. And as his witnesses who show with our lives and tell with our words, what we're doing, in essence, is saying, hey, we love you. Let us show you why we love you. And his name is Jesus not counting their trespasses against them and trusting to us. Everyone say to us. You have the message of reconciliation. And watch this. If Christianity declines or, or, or if people aren't being reached, it's simply and solely because the church is not witnessing. Okay? Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf. We implore you. The word is passionate. It is sorrowful. It is willful. It is we implore you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. For the sake, for our sake rather, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So your job and my job is to be a witness. That's what we do. That's the definition of Christianity. We show with our lives and we tell with our words who Jesus Christ is. And I want to encourage you. The reason why we show up on the weekends for church, the reason why we talk to our friends and our neighbors is because we witness to this amazing thing that's on the inside of us. 
that when Jesus left and ascended into the clouds and the disciples were looking at them and the angels said, don't look up there, look down here. Why? Because, I, the, Holy, because the Holy Spirit will be with you. He will guide you, and the Bible says he will teach you all things. Do you feel ill-equipped? Do you feel like, you know, I'm not really sure how I can talk to somebody about God? I'm going to tell you that maybe you need to take a class to be able to do that. We have those classes here, okay? Our men's class and our women's classes on the Bible will help you be able to have a competent understanding of scriptures. I understand that's like anything else. You just need to learn it. You need to understand it. But beyond that, the Holy Spirit is in you. You have a power on the inside of you that is greater than you, that will speak on your behalf when he provides the circumstances. Think of it this way. You have friends that God is already at work in right now. You do. You have friends that God is already at work in. All he's waiting for is for you to step forward and say, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. There was an old preacher a long, long time ago. Um, I cannot remember his name off the top of my head. He was uh, back in the mid-1900s, okay? mid-1800s rather. And uh, one day he was holding this revival in Scotland. And uh, he, he, a noted atheist would come. And he said, I'm going to commit to come for four weeks. And uh, the, the preacher said, okay, great, I, I would love for you to come. And he said, showed up every night to the tent revivals, okay? And on the fourth night of the revival, the atheist presented himself and said, I'd like to be a Christian. And he said, which one of my messages convinced you? And he goes, your messages were great, but none of your messages convinced me. He said, it was one day coming home, I was helping an old woman cross the street. And she looked up in my eyes and she said, I wonder if you know my Jesus. And she said, I would so love you to know him. And that's all it took to melt the hard, atheistic heart. Your friends are no different. They want to know that you believe this with all of you. They want to know that Jesus has made a difference in your life. They just just want to know that you believe it's true. And then they can figure out if it's true or not. But they need to see it in your life first. And then they need to hear you witness. They need to hear your words. This is how it all ends for us here. It says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. He lists three different places. Jerusalem, that's home base. So guys, you are to witness, to show with your life, and then tell with your words first in your family. It's the number one place that you need to do it. Your family needs to see it. You can talk to my kids. I give you permission to talk to my kids. You know, pull them aside on any time. I mean, here at church. Pull them aside, you know, uh, sometime. And, and then just be like, what's your dad like? They're going to say, well, he sins sometimes. He asks forgiveness to us. And he teaches us about Jesus. He's the same way on the outside as he is up here. They'll tell you that. So will my wife. If you're not being a gospel witness in your family. And it's hard to be a gospel witness anywhere else. And then next it says, from Jerusalem to Judea, that's your city. So for us, we move from strong families where we're being witnessed, we're being witnesses in, to being a citywide witness. That's where the church coming together and planting churches and being this, this amazing movement that God is just starting here in Orlando, that you're a part of. That's what the second part of that is about. It's Judea. We want Judea to be a part of it. And then the last part is the whole world. Jerusalem, Judea, and then to the ends of the earth. That we are the ends of the earth. Back then, the disciples could never conceive of the fact that there would be people meeting in Florida today. 
They didn't even know of this land. And yet the gospel's gone forward from this point on. And I want you to understand that it is being a witness that makes all the difference in your life personally, in your family's life, and in the life of the city. If we're going to take this city for the gospel, it needs to be families who are being witnesses and churches that are being witnesses. I'm so excited that um, I have the opportunity in a, co- in a couple of months to go to Brazil. And um, I was asked to come to Brazil by, um, we're part of a church planting network, a worldwide church planting network called Acts 29. And uh, we're going to be helping establish the Acts 29 um, philosophy and strategy for reaching Brazil. 200 million people. And it's going to be me and just a few other guys that are kind of laying out the plan for reaching those 200 million people. I'm excited about it. God's given us opportunities at home. He's given us opportunities in our city. And now he's given us opportunities worldwide. Guys, all it requires is for you to believe what Jesus said is true about you and then to live what Jesus said is true about you. Amen? All right. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much that you love us so well that you did not leave us blinded on our own. I'm so grateful, God, that you have poured into us the Holy Spirit so that what is on the inside will eventually show up on the outside. God, let us not live out of the old brokenness of self-effort. We can pedal that bike only so fast, God. It can produce only so many results. But when we have a power underneath us and around us that goes beyond us, we can do things that we can't do in our own strength. So this morning I'm praying that for every man, woman, and child here, they would experience the power of the Holy Spirit on the inside of them this week. I ask that you would show them that you are more than they are, and in you, they are more than they are alone. For it's all for your sake and for the sake of the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.